Nurses and Hypochondriacs, the podcast that brings nurse experts, patients, and hypochondriacs together to discuss hot topics in healthcare. And here is your host, Ercilia Pompilio. Food. It's that thing we need to survive. But what happens when it triggers a trauma? I mean, I think Weird Al Yankovic saying it best when he said, don't want to argue, I don't want to debate, don't want to hear about what kind of food you hate, you won't get no dessert till you clean off your plate, so eat it. Don't you tell me you're full. I mean, I'm sure a lot of you listening right now can go back to that point in time in your childhood where some adult figure, like either your parents or whoever else, was around the table and said, you couldn't get up to go play until you finished everything you ate. And that is totally absurd. I mean, I still hear it in clinic today with parents coming in with their children and complaining that their children won't eat or their children won't eat what they're cooking. I mean, that happened to me, and I'm going to be sharing some of my own personal food trauma stories and um, how I got around them with my parents at a very young age. I'm also going to share some very interesting stories that have been happening to me within the last couple of years where I've cooked for men that I've dated and it kind of sparked a trauma. I mean, I wasn't really trying to spark a trauma, but it just kind of happened. So on today's show, I have invited a chef, Rachel Narens from Chick with Knives to discuss food traumas. We're also going to be discussing food disparities and how important it is for kids to cook at an early age so that they can make great choices for themselves. This is a very fun episode and you won't want to miss it. But first, a word from our sponsor. sequels. Some of them are good. Most of them are bad. But on the Sequels Revenge podcast, we're here to celebrate all things sequels. Host John Coulomb and Bill Posley bring on a guest to talk about their favorite movies, and then we pitch a sequel to it. It's a sequel that nobody asked for, but one that we'd like to see. Then we go away, write the first five pages to the sequel, bring in a table of actors to read it. So if any of this sounds appealing to you, you should download Sequels Revenge podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play stores. All right, and welcome to Nurses and Hypochondriacs, Rachel Narens. This is your first time here. It is. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming. So we met, I think, way back in 2012 when, or it was at the Writing Pad Retreat in 29 Palms. Oh, that was such a beautiful experience. I loved that. It was so (laughs) much fun. And I totally remembered. I remember I was writing this piece and I was very, very passionate of this piece. It was a fiction piece. One of my very first fiction pieces that I've ever written. And so we had to read it out loud in this class that we had. And it was around a fireplace. It was a really cool setting. Amazing people were there. You were cooking. And you were in the kitchen, and I think you were eavesdropping. And I said my story, and I've never forgotten this. So I I said my story out loud, and um, it's about a woman. I'm not going to go too much into it because I think I'm still in development. It's about a woman who 
just loses everything and she goes to Nordstrom's and buys a pair of Christian Louboutins, right? And so the teacher hated it. She's like, that's such a terrible story. Like, <laughs> and everybody was like, what? Like everybody's faces. And so I got up and I'm like, okay, thank you. And I just kind of walked into the kitchen, but you were there and you're like, you know, don't stop writing that story. I really loved it. I loved it. I loved it when you talked about the red shoes because they were specifically these red shoes that this woman had bought. And then a couple of other people from the class came and they're like, we really like that story. I don't know. You know, I, it was just, I guess, I guess that woman. So it's just one person's perspective. So shouldn't, and that should be everybody's lesson that's listening to this. Don't listen to one person's perspective. Never. <laughs> so that's, you were cooking there. So tell us about yourself and your organization, Chicks with Knives, which I totally love. <laughs> I have never come to a formal dinner and I so really want to. I always tried, but it just never happened. But Yeah. Um, well, first, I, I love that story. And I, I do love a Louboutin. But um, did you finish the story? You know what? I buried it after then. I, I worked on it for a little bit and I just went ahead and exhumed it. And I was having dinner with a guy I was dating in October and we were having some nice charcuterie and wine and I whipped it out. And because he had, um, he is a painter. So he gave me a little uh, art show of his paintings. So I went ahead and whipped out my old writing and I read it to him and he actually really liked it. He's like, I love that, you know? And, and so he loved that I had read it to him yeah and and he loved the story so it was great he was genuine he wasn't just like oh I like my friends will tell me if they hate something I was reading writing an opinion piece the other day and my friend was like I really hate this stop reading (laughs) it (laughs) but well what's that called radical honesty or something yes but I mean I I applaud you for still having it and and keeping at it I yes. love people sh- I love when people share their art and I love when people share their writing yes it's, it's, so it's very raw to do yeah um, <laughs> so um in terms of me and chicks with knives um oh my goodness it's something I've been doing for so 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 long I barely know what I do anymore um uh in the last year I pivoted Specifically to, um, I teach cooking classes online and I teach food writing online. Um, obviously, because in the last year, online is my only choice. Um, but in the past, we did a supper club where we invited 16 to 22 people, strangers, to a private home somewhere in Los Angeles that had some sort of architectural significance. And we tried to create a little bit of a salon situation. And it was basically kind of the same thing as writing. It was my creative outlet. It was a way to connect with other women and to work with people that I wanted to be around and have positivity. And as we all know, historically, there can be, I'm downplaying this a lot, some toxic masculinity in professional kitchens um, that... I didn't necessarily vibe with. So the whole point of Chicks with Knives was to create a positive female space and to elevate women and 
it's sort of morphed from there and it's something I have gotten a lifetime of joy from <laughs> I really have so I totally yes. love that how long have you been doing chicks with knives I mean and I love the name where did that come from um I don't know where it came from but I do know that the second I thought of it I was like got it um I actually no I take it back I thought of the name and then I was like, what would that be? Is that a catering company? Is that this? Is that that? And then I went to um, an underground supper club that was called, I think, Gorilla Gourmet. Yeah, it was called Gorilla Gourmet. I went with a friend um, a zillion years ago. I mean, this was 12 years ago. And um, afterwards, I said, I could do that. That was fantastic. So then I knew what Chicks with Knives was. It all sort of came together. <laughs> the universe spoke to me. <laughs> I love that. And it's it's all about listening when the universe speaks, right? 100%. <laughs> cool. So jumping in for our, to our topic for today, food trauma. Have you ever experienced food trauma, either yourself or with, at one of the supper clubs that you were hosting? Oh, thankfully, no. <laughs> um, I mean, never at in a professional situation. But I mean, in life, I think the thing about food is that it's obviously the universal connection that we all have. So every aspect of our life has some sort of food involved with it, I think, um, or lack of food, which is a much more traumatic experience and something worth addressing at all times. Um, but for me, I'm, I, when you asked me this question, um, the first thing that came to mind was this completely silly thing that's actually not so silly, but I um, I used to work in restaurants and people would always say, oh, I'm allergic to this, I'm allergic to that. And, you know, it, it can be a little absurd sometimes. People will say, oh, I'm allergic to pepper or salt or air. <laughs> um, and um which actually I believe Eric it can be a real thing um but I have a life-threatening allergy to shrimp and I cannot eat shrimp I can't breathe in shrimp foods it's really crustaceans but mostly shrimp and I've never eaten shrimp um but one time I was working and they asked me to deal with it and I touched it and I guess I must have touched my face and my lips blew up. Oh my gosh. And I couldn't breathe. But my lips blew up so much I looked like Angelina Jolie. Oh my gosh. It, it looked amazing. Exactly. You're like, huh? I'm like, I'm dying. Oh my God. I look great. Then the lip implants, I don't even know what it is. Yeah, the injections. The injection, whatever but it is. I did actually have to go to the hospital, which is very traumatic and very Trump and terrifying. But at the same time, I had enough knowledge of, you know, a belief in this, the ability of the people helping me that I wasn't going to actually be harmed. But at the same time, I literally, I was laughing so hard because I looked so good. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I was like, it's like, is there shrimp lipstick I could use? <laughs> like, it's a little bit of the toxin, kind of like Botox is a toxin. You know? Yeah, but um, yeah, I mean, ultimately, I'm 
terrified of ever actually ingesting shrimp and truly not being able to breathe. Um, but at that time it was, it was funny and scary. So it was definitely a version of trauma. Sorry. I, I said, I can imagine. I mean, did you have trouble breathing? Oh yeah. I was, I was, I was asphyxiating. I was, I was yeah. taken to the hospital. Um, cause yeah. I didn't have an EpiPen with me at the time because I don't eat shrimp. So it's not usually a problem. <laughs> right. We're totally having an anaphylactic shock going on there. It was, it was, um, but thankfully I'm okay now. Obviously this was quite some time ago. So Excellent. Excellent. So I'm just going to go into what trauma is. So trauma is the response to a deeply distressing or disturbing event that overwhelms an individual's ability to cope, causes feelings of helplessness, diminishes their sense of self and their ability to feel a range of emotions and experiences. And food as children, like I'm a pediatric nurse practitioner, so Kids can be picky eaters. I don't know how much experience you have with children. Um, <laughs> uh, quite a bit. <laughs> oh, do you really? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like how so with eating and food? Uh, I've been teaching a Sunday morning children's cooking class for the last nine years. That's what I was doing this morning. Oh, that's so fun. Uh, third, fourth, and fifth graders. Third and fourth. Okay. So do they have any food traumas, like foods that they don't like, or they don't even want to deal with, or are they pretty open to just the experience? Um, I, it's, it's so fascinating just as someone who's interested in how people react to food to watch the way children are with food, um, and how their parents impact them. Um, children who are gluten-free is a little like, Clearly their parent is gluten-free. They didn't make that choice for themselves. Um, but it definitely, I don't think they made that choice. For Probably them. not unless their physician told them to go gluten-free and if there was something going on, but I'm sure they would have told you that. Like yeah. I can't have gluten and a, and a fifth grader is smart enough to say, yeah, I can't have gluten because this was going on with my body. I can see that. But a lot they of They normally say my parents don't eat gluten. <laughs> Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, but the most interesting thing is um, looking at the way that children react to food and what they're willing, how open-minded they are about it. And it always sounds like a cliche, but the truth is when they cook, they really are more open-minded to trying the food. It's interesting. And, and um, one of the most important things that I teach in my classes is um, that expression, don't yuck someone's yum. So we, the kids are always told to say, if you're offered something you don't want to eat, you say, no, thank you. That's not my taste. We never say ill. We never say yuck. Because if you like deep fried sheep's eyeballs, go ahead and eat that. Um, no one should be made to feel badly about what they eat. Um, and they're different, you know, they're children from different backgrounds and different socioeconomic groups and different ethnic groups. And everyone should be allowed to eat in peace is the way I look at it. So I want the kids to feel good about their choices and I try and do healthy foods, but if they don't want to eat something, I believe in empowering them to make that choice for themselves. I totally agree with that. And that's what I teach the 
my patients and their parents to really not force food, but to at least try a food seven to 10 times, because that's what studies show that it takes for you to enjoy something or like to eat something. Yeah. I just read that if you haven't tried a type of food by the time you're 35, chances are almost 100% you'll never try it in your life. That's very interesting. Yeah. I heard that on QI. (laughs) I love that. That's interesting. So interesting. I'm saying interesting way too much, but anyway, (laughs) um, some Interesting situations have happened to me with food, and I'm going to go into those stories. I think I, I gave you a little blurb about them in an email. You did. Wacky. And, and we can kind of talk about more about uh, how trauma happens in childhood and how food is somehow connected to that as well. So uh, I was dating uh, a guy uh, about a year or two ago. And um, he was an interesting guy. He was just very, very much in his head. And I was always trying to get him out of his head, right? And and kind of be more, he is a very creative person. However, I was trying to get him to be more playful and just be more open with stuff. And I was watching um, the movie Stranger Than Fiction. And Remind me which one that was? So it's with Will Ferrell. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Will Ferrell and gosh, I forgot the actress, um, Jake Gyllenhaal's sister, Maggie Gyllenhaal. So Maggie Gyllenhaal, and she plays a baker in the movie. Mm -hmm. And Will Ferrell plays a guy who's very much in his head and he works for the IRS and he's very analytical and he goes to audit Maggie Gyllenhaal at her bakery and she's just pissed, right? And And she's very like ethereal and... Yes, yes. She's very out there. And yes, very feel, very touchy feel. Yes, very ethereal. It's a great way to explain her. So um, she was baking cookies and she gave him a cookie. And he's like, no, thank you. I can't have that because it's a gift. And I'm not able to accept gifts because I work for the IRS. And she's like, did your mother ever bake you cookies? And he said, no, they were always box cookies right he's like my mother never baked me cookies because she worked and so she's like eat the cookie and so he eats and this it's this slow motion montage that happens where he eats a cookie and it's it's love you know and he has this whole experience so I'm watching that movie I'm like I have an idea I'm gonna bake him some cookies so he comes over to my house and I am planning to bake these cookies I go to Sprouts before and it was interesting. It was a Sunday and there was no flour. There was one bag of flour. It was really bizarre. So I grabbed that one bag of flour. I come home and I look at it and it's wheat flour. And I'm just like, well, it says okay for baking, whatever. I'll just use it. So I'm making dark chocolate chip cookies with macadamia nuts and you know, he comes over and I tell him he gets all excited because, you know, chocolate chips are his favorite and they're my favorite cookie as well. And we're having this moment talking about chocolate chip cookies. And I tell him, I go, well, there's only one issue. The flour I use is wheat flour. And I explained to him the story and he starts screaming, 
<laughs> I'm sorry. He screamed. He, he screamed. He was like, ah, like that. <laughs> Do I know this person? This is a very sad story. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, what's wrong? And he goes, my mother used to bake me cookies with wheat flour and they were terrible. <laughs> but you did this from out of a place of generosity and kindness. Right. So I said, well, I think wheat flour's come a long way. Yeah. Last 40 some odd years. <laughs> right. So I go, I'm sure they'll be good. So he starts to go into this story of childhood about how his parents, who's an only child, his parents tried to be uber healthy and they would eat weird stuff like wheat germ and cook with wheat flour in the 70s. You know, it was probably terrible. And he told me that um, like he would have to have these turkey sandwiches when he would go to school and they were the dark meat of the turkey. And there was <laughs> so dry and terrible with this wheat bread, you know, his parents would make. And, and so uh, I want to hug this person. <laughs> yeah, poor guy. Um, but it was a, it was a very interesting story. And it just kind of triggered it was the cookies were a trigger to this trauma that he had, um, which was very interesting. And the cookies were really good. But oh, good. <laughs> yeah. so, so I'm hoping that it brought back a positive memory and kind of shifted what had happened to him. But uh, uh, during COVID, I had another guy come over and uh, I was dating. Very COVID social. I know. That, well, this was before COVID. The chocolate chips was in 2019. And okay. uh, the other one uh, was just this April. So I had made lasagna. You know, mm, uh, yeah. I was dating, wanted to come over. So I was like, fine, I'll make lasagna, and which is labor intensive, as you know. You know, and, and it's I a had a lot made of ingredients a lot of ingredients and I had made a bolognese sauce. Oh, so nice. Yes. Yes. So it was, it was really very Italian, very, very good. I even used fresh mozzarella and everything. So um, when I'm making it, the guy goes, are you going to use ricotta or are you going to use um, cottage cheese on that? And I'm like, cottage cheese, who puts cottage cheese on lasagna. I mean, I'm very tough. My parents are from Italy. They're from Southern Italy body. And I was like, who does that? Mari, we'll talk about that later. Oh my gosh. Yes. We'll have to talk. So, um, and, and, and he was like, well, my mother used to use <laughs> cottage cheese on lasagna. And I'm like, no, you use ricotta cheese. You know, <laughs> like that's the real Italian way. That's what we're going to make it with. We're going to make it with ricotta cheese, not cottage cheese, you know, but it, but it was really interesting how my cooking were, was a trigger for these guys, you know, that is interesting. <laughs> like, like it's this maternal figure of their mothers, how they were terrible cooks, you know, I mean, my my parents are good cooks, but they're very experimental. And so their first times at making stuff may not be so great, but they'll keep doing it until it comes out really good. Like my parent, my both of my my mom is 76, my dad's 86, but they make tamales now. That's their thing. The best. Yeah. So they do their research. They watch many YouTube videos and every year they they do more research. 
So they do tons of research and they'll even ask people and then they come up with their own recipe, which is very good. I've actually given their tamales to Mexican people, my friends who are from, you know, Mexican families and they love them. They're like, these are really good. So they are excellent, but yes. So, and, and I remember as a kid, if we didn't like something, we'd pull a recipe out of the LA times and give it to my mother. And so she would formulate it to something that we like. Cause we're like, we don't like this, but can you make it this way? And she would, and she would make it into her own recipe. Your and, mom is so awesome. Yeah. My, my parents are very creative. They're both on. That's very indulgent. That's yeah. so nice of her. <laughs> yeah. So I was there for dinner today and my dad was all like, Oh, look, we made bread today. It's a new recipe. Try it out. It was, it was some hamburger bun recipe that they made. And then they had also made some new eggplant stuffed eggplant thing you know so yeah very good but yes but those are those are my wacky food trauma stories with dates which are very very interesting that happened I mean they spark interesting stories but I think um I would assume it's quite universal that there the bar is always your mother's cooking like I have this theory you cannot make a tuna fish salad sandwich for anyone ex- like that you don't really know or you're not related to because they're going to be like, well, that's wrong because <laughs> that's not the way mom made it. Um, but I'm so curious about the cottage cheese thing. Is it possible? I don't want to come across the wrong way. Is it possible um, he was Jewish? No, he wasn't. Oh. He was He was Caucasian. Uh, but he came, he was adopted uh, as well. So there were other issues, but he did have a lot of food issues. I remember another time we were eating steak and he was saying that he only can eat like a rare steak because his father used to burn stuff and they have to put like a lot of ketchup on it. And um, he really hates ketchup, cannot do ketchup whatsoever because it does trigger that memory, you know, that traumatic thing. We're all so ingrained with our food choices and the food that we were raised with. And I always think it's so interesting, especially like what we consider comfort food. Because most Americans probably, their comfort food is something in the realm of chicken soup or saltine crackers or something in that range. There are very few people who are going to be like, my comfort food is incredibly spicy, something, something. because you don't really eat a lot of spicy food when your stomach hurts. But um, there's no reason your comfort food couldn't be barbecued eel if that's what your mom gave you, um, and which happens to be a very wonderful food. So why not? <laughs> but um, we all, we learn all of these things so early in our lives. And I do believe there's, and I can't cite this and I apologize, but enough studies I'm sure exist that say, you know, the food you're exposed to as a child is the food that you gravitate towards the rest of your life. So our, um, our brains just develop, uh, how can I lock in on something? Yeah. Yeah. You are, you have your neurotransmitters get so 
used to that same type of food either either you're going to love it or you're going to hate it you know either you're going to form an aversion to it or i think if you had a positive reaction with a parent then um it's going to feel comfortable to you you know when yeah, i was sick and i was taking care of or else like for me um my father used to take care of me when I was little and my, my mother worked days, my, my dad worked nights. And so I wouldn't eat. I was a very picky eater as a kid and they would make me pastina in <gasps> Italian. Yes. Yeah, so the little tiny stars, right? So my father, and I still have this memory of shoving a spoon in my mouth, like really forcing me to eat. Yeah. And it's so terrible. But to this day, I can't have couscous. I can't have pastina. I don't do boba. Tapioca <laughs> balls, I cannot do. You that's know, so interesting. Those, those, anything that's really tiny and has the texture of pastina, I cannot do. No. So do you have any foods like that? Or what are your experiences as a kid? Uh, it's so funny you mentioned couscous. But um, I love couscous. Uh, I, I do have that one that, um, when I was in high school, the last thing I ate before I got the flu was a lemon poppy seed muffin. I've never had a lemon poppy seed muffin again. I know. And I love poppy seeds. I'm like huge into poppy seeds for whatever reason. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's my last, like, no way, no thank you. And there's nothing wrong with it. It doesn't smell bad. It doesn't look weird. It's just, I don't. Triggers that trauma, like that memory. Not going in me. <laughs> um, but there's so much beautiful food out there. It, and it's interesting. You actually used a term that I've been thinking a lot about lately. You said you were a picky eater. And we do use this expression, right? It's a, it's a thing. Um, but if I asked you, do you eat a lot of uni and caviar and yep. mushrooms? Yeah. And you said, <laughs> no, would that make you a picky eater? I mean, why is picky eater defined as I don't eat chicken nuggets and pizza? Like we've categorized picky to be something when in actuality, it's not really a thing. It's not really a thing. I think um, with children, children go through growth spurts. So there are times when they're really hungry and times when they're not really hungry. Yeah. And I always consult parents, like if they don't want to eat, that's okay. But then if they're not wanting to eat with the family and they're just saying they want to eat chicken nuggets every day, then you don't want to give into that as well. You know, no, and, no. And so you, and it is, tough sometimes with kids I don't have children but so to sit down with a child and to really have the patience and let them try things I had a friend um, and a friend of this friend told me the story she has I believe a three or four year old right now mm -hmm. uh, and uh, incredibly cutest little boy and they went to a Japanese restaurant and um my friend was concerned, like, what is he going to eat? Like he was the nervous one, you know? And so, um, he, so his mother, the little boy's mother went ahead and um, just picked him some pieces of fish 
and I guess just some very simple sushi. And she explained to him what these were, how they were going to taste, like how they were going to be a little bit different from each other, but they're really good. And so he was eating them and he said he was just in heaven. Like the little boy was making these expressions on his face on, you know, how delicious this was to him. And I, and his mother is an actress and I go, well, of course, you know, she probably taught him to just be open to experience and having that, you know, and, and, and she guides him in that. But, um, and and so my friend's partner was like, he always makes the story so dramatic. (laughs) He's like, in my day, we had to eat whatever our parents told us. I am. I love that. And there's one thing that's so hard as an adult working with children is we project our own food issues. Yes. Children. Um, I, when I was a little girl, I wouldn't eat mushrooms. I don't know. I just wouldn't. Um, I love mushrooms now. I grew out of that. But whenever I'm working with kids, I'm always like, oh, I'm not going to give them mushrooms. They're not going to want to eat that. And then I do anyway, because I know I'm projecting and they love it most of them um so i i have to as an adult stop projecting my food likes and dislikes on the kids um but then it is sometimes so baffling you're like that's delicious why don't you like it (laughs) my mother told me yesterday she doesn't like gnocchi really i was like are you okay like how do you not like I don't know. <laughs> it depends with a gnocchi. You know, gnocchis are kind of hit and miss with me too. Uh, yeah. I mean, um, I'm not a big fan of pasta and potatoes. Uh, My parents, that, that is a very barese, uh meal, pasta and potatoes and a red sauce. Uh, not my favorite. You know, it's just too starchy for me. Ah, uh, so. they- I'm from the starch on starch on starch crowd. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite discovery as an adult was a chip buddy, um, which is French fries with butter on white bread. (laughs) Oh my gosh. What is that called? A chip buddy? Buddy, (laughs) B-U-T-T-Y. Leave it to the English. Um, Yeah, it's, it's not something one should eat very often but it's it's delightful when you do <laughs> goodness <laughs> then again i love salad so there's balance um but i think it's interesting that i also think it's interesting that your dating life it seems to revolve around other people's food issues <laughs> <laughs> well well rachel the reason why and i don't think i told you how nurses and hypochondriacs started, it started because I, I dated a lot of hypochondriacs. So, really? so the men that I date usually have some type of an issue. Um, and I don't know. Gluten if, intolerance? Gluten no. intolerance. <laughs> I, know, I cannot have gluten. I did date a guy like that. He had so many food issues. It just drove me nuts. You know? <laughs> so, um, but it's very interesting. I don't know these things about these people. They just come up um, as, as. How do they find you? <laughs> it's all on the internet. No, but it's like, 
you clearly are interested in food and nutrition and all of these positive things. And then these people with these weird neuroses come and it's like, why you? Like they could have found any woman. <laughs> right. They could have found any woman. I think that I am very empathic and they're looking for uh-huh. um, healing or, you know, maybe it's a form of they're trying to figure themselves out. I, I don't know. And maybe I am a maternal figure. I don't know. It's a little bit weird to think of that. But um, yeah, I, I think it's because they're, they're trying to find someone who's comforting and, and who they can be vulnerable with. And, and I guess I just bring out those vulnerabilities. I like that though. <laughs> it, does, okay. it does turn into a lot of creativity uh, for me personally. Oh, so, that's cool. Yeah, so because they do spark ideas like this, uh, podcast as we're talking about, you know, and there's not too much re or literature about this. There are, there, there is a lot of stuff on, um, food traumas that go into, uh, bulimia and anorexia and stuff like that. Uh, and there's lots of literature on there, but there's nothing about either a food being a comfort or a food being a trigger to a trauma that happened in childhood. Like um, we did a whole episode last year on um, why school lunches suck. Okay. I listened to it. Yeah. <laughs> and that was yes. And, and that came from that whole chocolate chip cookie story as well, because that individual who I was dating also took it upon himself to, uh, he, he has a son, so he is really into cooking and he has his own cookbook that he developed and he's really into food. So, uh, which, which is very interesting, but yeah, so that whole episode came out and, um, yeah, and we looked at that and I asked some of my friends uh, about their school lunches. And, and one of my friends said, uh, she's like, oh, yeah, bologna sandwiches, you know, and she absolutely detests bologna, a bologna and mustard, because that's what she ate every single day. That's what on white bread. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I remember my father would make dry peanut butter and jelly, sa- peanut butter, no jelly, you know, on crusty, terrible bread. And sometimes it's the butt, you don't have any more bread left. So you just put the butts of the bread together. <laughs> Why is the end of a loaf of sandwich bread the worst? You know, do you think it's the worst? Or I think it's the worst. It's the worst. And it shouldn't be. There's nothing, crust is fine. Bread is great. I don't know. It's just the end of a sandwich loaf. is just a little bit the worst. It's very, very sad. So was there something in particular that your parents made when you went to school that you remember or don't remember? It's so funny you asked that. Um, Just yesterday, I was thinking about this. I literally, like, I went to school, obviously, um, and we didn't bring lunch. We had lunch, I guess, served. I don't know what you call it. Um, Yeah, right. They made lunch. um, And... I have zero recollection of what I was fed as a child, um, like none. Uh, I remember in nothing. I can tell you every single meal I ate every day of my high school life, but I have no like young childhood memories of food specifically, I think because 
it was probably just like kid food and I was probably very happy to be fed. <laughs> but I was really lucky in high school and I went to a school that put a lot of emphasis on food justice and food security and making sure that um, we had really high quality food and we had the best, best dining hall staff and they made everything from scratch. Um, wow. We had. What school did you go to? Uh, I went to a small school in New England. So um, we had uh, one woman who worked there named Edna who made these chocolate chip cookies that were just the be all end all. If you were good, you got the chocolate chip cookies at the end of the week. Um, and Art McKechnie was the head of the kitchen and he would make donuts from scratch and oh from scratch. And it was, it was, we were. I consider it, I was very privileged um, to have people, a school that really invested in us as young people and invested in making sure that we were fed and by employing people with dignity and giving great jobs and making amazing food. And I'll tell you, I still, I look at their Instagram still, I'm like, what are they having for dinner now? Yeah, it was um it was a very nice experience. And so I just I remember I do remember <laughs> um I didn't grow up eating uh Russian salad dressing, you know, the kind that's ketchup, mayonnaise, mustard, and uh relish all in yes, one. That's very Bob's big boy. It is very Bob's big boy. But I, I, we went to Bob's I, big boy, we got ranch, we got ranch. Um, but, uh, but that was the secret sauce. Like at my, I went to, uh, an elementary Catholic school and we would have hamburgers on certain days, yeah. like Thursdays. And so not it was Friday, not Friday. It was Thursday. <laughs> it was a with or without hamburger. And the with or without was either with the secret sauce or without. And it was exactly the sauce that you're describing. That's very in and out of them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but when I was in high school, I discovered Russian dressing and I had never, it just wasn't something we had. We always had whatever other stuff, um, ranch, <laughs> but, uh, oh my gosh, I, I was like a fish to water. I could not get enough of that stuff to this day. I still think it's the best. It is. I believe it is the secret sauce also on a Big Mac. So. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Not that I eat Big Macs. I try and be healthy, but. It is a good thing. A little fat, a little vinegar, a little flavor. Of course. Every once in a while, once a year. <laughs> yeah. Well, if I'm going once a year, I'm definitely in and out. <laughs> definitely in and out. Yes, I agree. So tell us about your marijuana cooking, your cannabis cooking. Are you still doing that? Uh, a little bit, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not doing any public cooking right now, obviously, because of the situation. Um, so I, uh, in no way, shape or form have anything to do with medical marijuana. Um, I would not purport to know much about that. I just happen to enjoy edibles, <laughs> um, hundred percent for entertainment and recreation. And, um, a few years ago, someone asked if we would do a cannabis dinner for them as a catering event, which we did. Um, and I joke 
these were uh, heavy users and I didn't really know what I was doing. And I got them so, they couch coma'd like nothing you can believe. Like I, <laughs> I had no idea. I was like, just keep eating it. I didn't know anything about dosing. I didn't know anything about anything. And they were the sweetest, nicest, most wonderful, genuine people. And I annihilated them. <laughs> and a week later they called and I was like, oh, thank goodness you're awake. Um, and they said, that was awesome. Do it again. <laughs> so um, it was a. What did you put? Oh my God. We did 12 courses with infused courses, which is much, much, much. In each course? Yeah, it was crazy. Wow. This was, again, this must have been eight or 10 years, eight years ago. Yeah, something like that. Um, so I quickly quickly uh, went out and met as many people as I could to learn how to dose properly, um, which is really important because you want to enjoy the food. You want to enjoy the experience. You want to be entertained. You do not want to be paranoid and freaking out. So um, that was a quick lesson. And it became just something that we did. And I started doing cannabis cooking classes, which has been super fun. Um, something people are interested in. And there's so many people out there doing such great things with cannabis and CBD right now. Um, and there's just, it's also interesting. I'm, there's so many women in this space and I love that it's something that traditionally you wouldn't think of as being in a woman's space. Um, I don't know why I said that, but um, it's something that's very empowering for women and really interesting and bonding. And I just love that about it. So I love it. Yeah. So what's a, a cannabis recipe or uh, not really a recipe, like uh, something that you really like to cook and that you've put together? What's your favorite? Um, I will never, ever stop loving a good pot brownie. Like forget it. It's cool. <laughs> It's the be all end all, but um, I love using um, THC in mole. Oh, yum. And mole, it's the perfect vehicle for it. So it really elevates the flavor without masking it too much. One of the interesting things, of course, about doing consuming THC is that there's always flavor issues for a lot of people. It's not a flavor we grew up eating, thankfully. Um, it's not something that people are really used to consuming and you do a lot of masking, whereas you should be doing something to elevate flavors and mole is, it's like the perfect, perfect combination, but also a good pot brown. <laughs> um, I had a friend and she once made for me lemon bars. Really? Lemon. They were really good. And I, I remember I had a lemon bar and we, we had a, a swig of whiskey. We had a shot of whiskey and then we went to a storytelling show and I got up on stage and I swear, I, must, I thought I told the best story ever. <laughs> <laughs> Is it not the best story ever? 
I thought I did. And I, and I had someone there who was one of my ex co-producers of when we did our storytelling show nurses and hypochondriacs at the Hollywood Fringe Festival. And he was there and he was like, you were out of control. I go, I will take that as a good out of control. I go, but I think the story was the best ever. <laughs> the lemon brownie was really good. I do not do cannabis. I am very, very sensitive. So that one, I was like, woo! <laughs> like I had a, a lot of, of cannabis in it. So, um, which is interesting. I but do think, um, I think it's terrific though that you, you had the, the, the confidence to get up there and you're a storyteller is amazing. I, I applaud anyone who has that skill. Thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate storytelling because I am not one of them. <laughs> well, you're, you are a writer. You are a food writer. So in essence, you're a storyteller. I thank you. Yes, I am. And I love teaching cooking and I love helping people craft their stories. Um, I actually um, sort of inadvertently took a storytelling class. I want to say last year, but it must have been a year and a half ago now. Um, and it turns out I I had to like stand on a stage and tell a story. And I was not like, I just didn't want to. Um, I like anecdotes, but stories are, stories are tricky for me but I love other people's story. I'm such a huge advocate of um, people sharing their, their interesting stories, like everything you've been saying. I love it. Yeah. I want to hear more about what you have to say. <laughs> I have a lot to say. Have you written a book? Not yet. Coming, coming soon. Hopefully this year um, I am working on, my problem is I have many, many, many projects um, and, and I'm slowly launching them as we go. And yeah. I, I am kind of, a, other than me, John and I, um, I am kind of a one man show with everything. So sure. I also teach my storytelling classes uh, to nurses, but anybody can come on them uh, through the well-written nurse. And of course I have the podcast and I have curlers. I do jump in and work in clinic from here and there. So I am, I, I am all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I agree schizophrenic of sorts, but I do enjoy it because um, I love to do everything. So it's so much fun. I so Rachel, it. where can people get a hold of you for your class? Oh, yeah. website? Well, I was going to say one of the things about, um, so I teach a cookbook writing class and um, it's, it's how to write a cookbook, but it's also a little bit of an accountability. So I'm sort of like the, Let's get writing. So you should come join. Excellent. I should. I would love to learn how to write a cookbook. And the food of Bari is fantastic. Oh, yes. Yes. I'm going to actually, I, I actually have a date coming over. <laughs> You're a wild yes. woman. I love it. Wild woman. Yes. I do. I love entertaining. So, um, and I say that in a positive sense is just um, yeah. having a relationship with someone and, and sharing food. And uh, it, it's wonderful. I mean, it's very Italian culture. What are you uh, cooking? I am making panzerotti. Do you know what panzerotti are? I do not. No. So panzerotti are very, um, they're just from body. You will not find them anywhere else in Italy. I think Naples actually has a, a form of panzerotti as well. Uh, 
I did see them in Naples, but they're different. They're a little bit different. They're much larger than the ones in body that I saw. Um, so what a panzerotti is, it's dough. Okay. It's like pizza dough and it, it, it's filled uh, with tomatoes, um, salt, pepper, mozzarella cheese. You can throw some capers in there. You fold over the dough, kind of like a, a pocket pastry or a, um, you know, kind of like a calzone, but not really. Okay. Fold it over and you deep fry it. Oh, I love it. I'm in. Yeah. So it's like an empanada. Kind of like an empanada, but deep fried. Yes. Uh, it, Sounds good to me. It's like a hostess, one of the hostess pies in a way, but deep fried, but Italian style, but not really sweet. It's not sweet. I guess you can make a sweet one mm-hmm. um, with throw some Nutella on there and deep fry it, you know? So I feel like that should be the name of my um, bio. Throw some Nutella on her and deep fry it. <laughs> um, I love that. Well, it sounds fantastic. You will have to put pictures online. I want to see it. So which book have you published? I have um, two cookbooks under my own name. So they're both on cast iron cooking and they are both called cast iron cooking. Um, One's called ultimate cast iron and one is called cast iron cooking. Um, And you asked earlier where people can find me. Uh, My website is chickswithknives.com spelled the way it sounds. Um, And I do a lot on Instagram. So that's also chicks with knives. Um, And yeah, I just, through this whole situation of the last year, I've gotten really into food photography and I've been working with clients on recipe development and product photography. So you can see those pictures there. <laughs> yeah. Sorry? I'm totally going to follow you. So you. excellent. Well, thank you so much, Rachel. This has been a super fun discussion. It has, it has. I've loved it. Um, and I wanted to add one thing before we go. Yes. Your hair is amazing. Oh, thank you. It actually <laughs> terrible today. But no, you. it's amazing. I love your hair, your color. I'm going <laughs> to tell you, because I think when I met you, you were a brunette. And now you're, probably was. you're now you're more of a blonde, but I really like it. The blonde is very fitting. Thank you. All homemade. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for inviting me to do this. It's been very fun. Yes, yes. And uh, we'll probably have you on again. Oh, I hope so. And um, I hope we get to hang out. And yes, talk. we'll talk. We'll talk. <gasps> that would be so much fun. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to figure out ways to feel comfortable in this situation. <laughs> Excellent. I know as we all are, as we all are. Well, thank you so much till next time. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to our nurses and hypochondriacs podcast. We love your support and we love our listeners. If you have some spare change, go ahead and throw some to us on our Venmo at nurses and hypocon. Also go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love that. And if you'd like to be a guest, go ahead and send us an email at nursesandhypochondriacs at gmail.com.